Hello everyone, happy Tuesday, and welcome back to A Sweet Sunrise Podcast. I'm your host, Callie Ding, and every week I do a deep dive into a popular read and talk about wellness. We are just a small book club community, very small, that looks to discuss literature while also promoting a healthy lifestyle. So it's just kind of a little online blog and podcast for me where I can talk about some of my top two interests. Last week, I had my boyfriend Dusty on the pod, and it was really a lot of fun. He says he'll only do it once a year, but I think I can work on him a little bit. It was really fun to be able to talk about some very different books, something that maybe not a lot of us have heard of for a while. Um, definitely different, especially the horror kind of genre. It made me really reminisce about my favorite dystopian books in middle school that like, I really could not just put down. I spent a lot of nights in middle school when I couldn't sleep just reading The Hunger Games because they were such fast reads and then moving on to Divergent and, you know, the rest of those classics. So if you listened to that episode, thank you so much and I hope you'll stick around for this one too. The start of this week has been a little rough for me. I'm still adjusting to my new job. I'm making mistakes and feeling embarrassed sometimes. I'm coming off of being a senior in college and kind of feeling really confident about my papers and knowing how to do everything and now I'm in this office world where it's like common sense stuff which I was never really taught as much. I think the problem with putting kids in advanced classes like this is they don't ever get a chance to you know experience the real kind of common sense stuff. I heard a kid in my AP environmental science one day he was a sophomore I was a junior and he said the most relatable thing I've ever heard He said, I am taking like four AP classes this year and I am like good, like I pass all of them and I get straight A's, but I tried to put a doorstop in the other day and it just didn't work. I couldn't figure it out. I've never related to that more starting this office job than ever. So I struggle using those office phones. I struggle, let alone like the computer system. The computer system is crazy complicated and knowing like the procedures for every image that comes in and everything but the office phones I've never used a phone like that and it's not like they really tell you when you start a job you're just kind of expected to know so I'm like over here fumbling with the phone and it's the most embarrassing thing ever so if you struggle with office phones you're not alone but I'm learning um it's just kind of been hard feeling like mostly it's been hard feeling like I'm slipping into this adult lifestyle like it just seems like that episode of spongebob where it's this one guy and he's like going to work and he's in the traffic and then he's in the cubicle and then he's in the traffic and then he's like standing in his kitchen at night or something that's like my biggest fear i think so slipping into that kind of boring adult lifestyle that i never really saw myself in is a little hard even though it's not the end game I always wanted to work in a creative space and help publish literature through talent and use my talent, but I know that's not something that you can just do right away, and it can be hard to accept. I have to put some time in, get some experience before I'll ever hear back about a publishing job. I have applied to a few long-shot remote jobs at a very prominent publishing house, but it's very unlikely that I'll hear back about those. I've probably applied to like six positions with them since graduating and (laughs) I sent another one in yesterday and they're probably like god this girl again she's not gonna let it go 
like we've read her resume we know what that is but now I'm able to add this new job on my resume even though I've only been working there like a month it is still really good experience that I've you know working as a legal assistant editing these documents and stuff I think that will give me a better chance but we'll see yeah so I'm really trying to be patient and in the meantime I'm gonna focus on still being a 22 year old I don't have to stay in every night and treat this job like it's my dream career because it isn't it's just a stepping stone so if I want to this is what I wanted to do last night even though Dusty was out playing poker I really wanted to play Mario Kart until like the middle of the night that's what I wanted to do but I didn't maybe we'll do that tonight I don't know but as far as other life updates, I'm getting excited to go to Disney with Dusty's family at the end of the month, so yay. We always have the best time with them. I'm also very much looking forward to Bachelor Night this week. A small group of us will be watching this week's episodes, because there's two this week, if I'm remembering correctly. There's Hometowns, and then there's The Women Tell All, which The Women Tell All is like fine. I'm glad they're putting it in the same week as a real episode, because I used to hate that week. It was like annoying that was the only episode. We're gonna watch it on Wednesday night, and it's always a highlight of the work week for me. And if you don't get together with your friends and some rosé once a week to watch The Bachelor, then really what are you doing? Because it's a vibe. I can tell you it's a vibe. I cannot recommend it enough. But that's pretty much it for me in my personal life, so let's go ahead and get into the bulk of this episode and move on to talking about healing relationships and what that means. So in Prince Harry's book, Spare, which we're going to be talking about today, he takes you through a series of very personal relationships that kind of remain rocky throughout his life. And so to fit in with our pick of the week, I wanted the wellness portion of today's episode to be about healing relationships that we deem valuable. And I definitely want to start by saying not every relationship needs to be healed or is worth healing as Harry eventually decides in a few very high-profile instances. Some relationships are simply not worth the trauma. You can even put them on hold. You don't necessarily have to just cut them out of your life right from the start. But, you know, while no one can say what will eventually happen between him and his family, I can say for sure that some friendships and even family relationships are not worth the pain. I learned that the hard way. I really did. <laughs> I think that's all I'm going to say about that. But if someone is constantly causing you heartbreak and is not willing to step up, is not willing to work through a rebuilding relationship with you, and it's almost always best to just kind of cut them out of your life and get rid of that toxicity. And even though it can be devastating and you might be worried about what other people are going to think, the only opinion that really matters is yours. But if you feel like a friendship or a relationship or relationship with a family member is worth saving and you really want to make it work, communication is definitely key. I hear of way too many instances of friends having problems with one another and just venting to other friends or their significant other and not discussing it with each other. So if you felt like things have been, let's say, off with a close friend of yours for a while, and you're drifting apart, but you really don't want to be drifting apart, you guys really need to sit down and have a conversation. Letting things that really bother you slip by untalked about will only create more tension, and when tension gets built up like that over time, it usually ends in an outburst or a really heated and unproductive argument, 
and leads to a lot of drama and it's just really not the best course of action. When you feel like someone isn't giving you the time you deserve or treating you the way you deserve, it needs to be addressed if it's making you feel shitty. Everyone has kind of their own buttons and when they're pushed, you know, friends want to be sensitive of that, but if you feel like you are not being valued to another person, that hurts. And that might look different to other people. I'd say, I feel valued by my friends when they take time to ask about my day, ask how I am. And if they don't do that, then maybe I don't feel as valued. And it might look like something else for somebody else. But I'm not saying to go aggressively confront your friend. But asking to have a conversation would be a great next step. It may sound cliche, but I find it best to use I feel statements in situations like this because I feel like it highlights the impact of someone's actions and the impact someone's actions have on you. They may not have intended to cause you pain at all, but letting them know that, hey, when you do this, it makes me feel this way, or hey, when you said that, it really made me feel like this usually kind of helps them see things from your point of view and makes it way more productive and it also sounds less confrontational in general because if I'm going up to my friend I'm saying hey like this was shitty like you did this and that was shitty it's way more productive and she's gonna get more out of it if I say hey when you did this it just really made me feel like this type thing and these conversations can be really beneficial because most of the time tension is a misunderstanding it's built off misunderstanding and when there is something behind it, like when there's actually something behind it, it's a way to better face it together and form a constructive path forward rather than resort to passive-aggressive behavior. Now, relating back to Harry's book, it seems like he and his family did a lot of beating around the bush and avoiding emotionally charged topics for the sake of appearances. They were really worried about, well, how would it look if you know, we were arguing or how would it look like if like you needed help with your mental health. I know that was an instance with Megan at some point and that was really hard to hear. I know she was contemplating suicide and they didn't even want her to seek help because of they were worried about appearances. And I know that that's um, just a claim that Harry and Megan are making and maybe it's not true. I like to see the good in people and, you know, believe what they're saying. But, you know, that is just kind of what they're saying but uh look where that got them in general you know by looking at their relationship today you can see how avoiding these emotionally charged topics really didn't do them any good it seemed to be a really big struggle for harry and even somewhat traumatic during his childhood as he avoided grieving for his mother for so long and in his adult life he was able to prioritize the relationships in his life and figure out which ones were truly serving him the most. And he really does sound like a healthier person for it. He sounds healthier through his writing. It feels like reading the memoir that he's reached a sort of clarity. And I don't know, I love that for him. Similarly, he began to assert personal boundaries with his friends and family that helped him feel happier and less anxious. And I think his therapist probably had something to do with this. But this is essential for anyone wanting to maintain healthy relationships. 
People close to you should be ready and willing to accept your personal boundaries. And if they're not, the relationship may not may be worth reevaluating. And I'm not saying that Prince Harry is a relationship genius by any means, but I did take notice in reading his book that he uses these practices to try and form better relationships and to try and genuinely be a better person. Now, to dive into the book itself, let me start by summarizing a little. Prince Harry obviously comes from a very prominent family. Uh, he feel, it expresses that he feels second to William, who he almost always refers to in the book as Willie, which is very endearing and it might be kind of a play to Prince William's emotional heartstrings, hoping that he had read the book. Um, but he's somewhat of an emotionally stunted youth that had fears of not finding a purpose in the world. His relationship with the press becomes traumatic from an early age, and despite his family's advice to try and ignore it, it really weighs on him. Finding purpose and passion and joining the military, he becomes an experienced helicopter pilot and completes four tours in Afghanistan. Upon returning home and between battles with the press, he struggles again with his life his life's purpose and begins to long for a soulmate. He learns what it means to experience PTSD and finds meaning once again in establishing the Invictus Games for wounded warriors. And then he meets an American actress that steals his heart on her trip to Africa. What kind of issues does the royal family have with a mixed race divorcee? How will Harry prioritize his relationships? Why did they really leave the royal family? Get your copy to find out. I ordered this book off of Amazon, I think back in January, really close to when it actually first came out, because I was super interested. I was definitely ready. I had watched their whole Netflix documentary, and I never really was interested in the royal family, like the current royal family up until them. Like, I didn't, I never watched like William and Kate's wedding or got into any of their stuff, but I have been fascinated by his, like, his history in general like the the genuine royal family so yeah the whole thing kind of fascinates me the history of the royal family has always interested me and i have enjoyed many many pieces of historical fiction regarding the tudors so it seemed only right to give harry's book a shot like i said i don't know a ton about the current royals but i did read a lot of historical fiction you know going back in his family's history and so it's interesting in the sense that this family is so powerful and so, so secretive that details are almost never revealed about their personal lives. And now here comes Harry, ready to tell us everything about one of the most powerful institutions that has literally ever existed. Ever. And I feel like not enough people are realizing how big of a deal this book is and recognizing it for what it is because of that. The only person that openly spoke about the royal family so honestly before was Princess Diana, and she died well before her time. But now, her youngest son, his book Spare, has now become the UK's fastest-selling nonfiction book ever. That's crazy. So the book is sectioned into different periods of Harry's life, and the first section revolves around losing his mother. I think that's kind of where everything starts. And while I don't think the memoir's main goal is to expose the monarchy, 
He doesn't shy away from writing about how the royal protocol and procedures have affected him on a personal and emotional level. So like I said, right off the bat, we're dealing with the death of Princess Diana. He's at a castle in, I think, Scotland. She's in Paris. She doesn't make it out of that tunnel. And it's heartbreaking. Harry's grieving process, or lack of, for his mother. For years, he says he convinces himself that Princess Diana faked her death and gone in, and went into hiding from the press and was going to find a way to secretly contact Harry and William. And he kind of stuck to this for a while. He believed it so much that he even went and asked William about it. And he admitted that he had kind of the same thought process, but that he didn't think she would ever leave them. And that's kind of what Harry ended up thinking too. But if you like sitting here and thinking like yeah that's crazy like that's just like a coping mechanism that he had and that you know obviously that would have never happened but it's not that crazy given who they are and the power the family has it's not that crazy of a thought because of those capabilities so on some level yes it was a coping mechanism but on another level it's like also kind of possible So what a confusing situation for a 12-year-old boy to be in. And I think this lack of grieving, I know he goes years without crying. I think he cries once at the funeral. And that's just so emotionally traumatic. And he has this relationship with the press. And then, you know, he goes back and asks one of his, um, I don't know if it's his bodyguard or it's one of his staff members, maybe a private secretary. He asks for the police report from his mother's car crash in Paris and the pictures that he gives him he said I'm not going to give you all the pictures because I don't think it's appropriate but the pictures that he did give him showed paparazzi literally photographing Diana's body inside the car and I can't imagine seeing that as a child seeing your seeing your mother like that but just thinking about how he was holding on to hope that she was still out there when we all know the story now it's it's so sad to imagine the way his family dealt with things though he never really had anyone to talk to to help process his emotions and he admits that this played a role in his later emotional difficulties and so something i really enjoyed about this book was that he was willing to be so open about his mental health you can feel the vulnerability like people are criticizing him for being so I guess, I guess kind of, like, blunt and honest about, like, yeah, some some parts are, like, weird, like, descriptions of nudity and losing his virginity was definitely awkward, but I think it's supposed to be because I think that's how it felt to him, just looking at it from kind of a reader's point of view instead of looking at it just for, I don't know, media and controversy stories. I felt that, in general, it was a very, it was a very honest book, so... I also do really think it was Megan who ended up showing him how important talking about your emotions is, and I think she kind of swooped in and saved him in a way, emotionally. Uh, But I'll be honest, the first three quarters or so of the book went by pretty slowly for me. It took me a while to actually finish this book because it's not like, it's not a page turner, you know? Um, it wasn't the most entertaining read, really, until Megan showed up. I hate to say that, but it's true. Um, although, like I said, I did appreciate his candid discussions about mental health, anxiety, and PTSD. 
A large chunk of the first part of the book revolves around his military career, which was met with a lot of controversy. Some people felt as though he was bragging or outright lying about his kill number in the war. And I went in to the book thinking that that was probably true, but I was just genuinely curious, so I was going to just be completely, I'll be completely honest. I 100% honestly did not get that feeling at all. As a reader, I could tell that he was proud to do his duty as a soldier and that he didn't regret his actions at all, but I also don't think he was bragging either. I think he was just being bluntly honest. It was more like he was just stating a fact and being transparent. I also doubt that he lied about his specific number because being a helicopter pilot, it's if you didn't know that and you were just reporting on his kill number, yeah, it would be weird, but knowing that, it seems way more realistic, especially considering that he mentions multiple times that every strategic move he made was recorded and meticulously reviewed. So, speaking of controversy, there have been several other moments of the book that caused a stir in the public, and perhaps the most talked about was when Harry detailed an instance in which Prince William allegedly attacked him. Hearing about this chapter in the media made it seem crazy. Like, let me tell you, I was prepared for, like, an all-out brawl, like maybe him coming at Harry with a knife type thing. And that's not what I got. That's not what I got out of it at all. Um, It's hearing yeah but the chapter itself it was not as bad as what people were making it out to be at all in the media it really wasn't and i wasn't there i was not there and while violence you know should never be the answer the altercation seemed entirely plausible to me you know uh he it was i think an instance in in nottingham cottage maybe where they got into a verbal altercation and harry was just kind of like you know i need like respect like I need help and William kind of like grabbed him by the collar roughed him up a little bit and pushed him over like threw him over onto the ground and he fell on a couple dog bowls that broke under him and cut into him but that's kind of the extent of what I remember um so it wasn't anything super shocking I mean yes it is shocking that is it's a public figure resorting to violence with his own brother so yeah not good but the way it was portrayed in the media made me think it was like way worse than that if that makes any sense but you know reading you know the chapter he did apologize pretty much right away and the issue was not resolved there (laughs) and you know things really got out of hand but like I said it they were they were really looking for something to try and blow up in this book but a fight between brothers like that it seems really plausible to me and in reality no one except for the two of them will ever really know for sure what the truth is so i can't really sit here and speculate on it too much also another shocking point of controversy in the book was that harry and william both sat down with their father, Charles, and fully endorsed his relationship with Camilla, they just asked that he please not marry her. Which is interesting to me, because of course we all know he marries her. I think in 2005? I think? Yeah. 
Um, and I've seen a lot of TikToks that Camilla wore white to Charles's wedding with Diana. And when years later, after Diana died and Charles married Camilla, the queen wore white. And I don't know. Coincidence? Maybe not. Not sure. But you can look it up. The queen is wearing white to Camilla and Charles's wedding. But it's it's a hard thing, I think, to admit that you kind of begged your father not to marry this woman and then with your brother both jointly you know accepted and he just kind of you know doesn't listen to that but you know love is love i who is anyone to really stand in the way of that but it is very interesting to note that that was a discussion that happened and they did not want them to tie the knot officially i think it was mostly because of the controversy it would cause but I could also see them worrying that their mother was going to be replaced. Obviously, that's a very human human worry. But another thing related to Charles and Camilla was that Harry mentions at multiple times that they would purposely find a way to get Harry and William bad press so that Charles and Camilla could get good press. And it's known that Charles and Camilla were never really super popular with the press or the public. Diana was. Diana was the people's princess. And, you know, to follow that up, you have Camilla. And, you know, they weren't feeling the same about her. And they never really felt the same about her, even today. She's just kind of, I don't know, being an American over here, I think I would say that she's probably disliked. And King Charles, I'm not really sure. Maybe now that he's king, it might be, might be a little more patriotic or whatever but finding ways to kind of expose the boys so that they could get good press or saying you can't do this I think it was like Kate couldn't hold a tennis racket at the match because that photo would be on the front page when Charles is over here doing something else and they really want that to be the front page it's just ridiculous and harmful especially considering the relationship that these boys had with the press because of the harassment they've endured their whole lives and now you're actively trying to get them bad press so that you will look better that's definitely definitely weird to me but now getting into some real some realty the most shocking piece of drama of drama in this book to me was the couple of sit-downs that the two young royal couples had around 2018, I think, was around there. So, William and Kate, Harry and Meghan, sitting in a living room, like, hashing it out, basically. <laughs> like, why are we upset with each other? And I audibly laughed for both of these. It is ridiculous. <laughs> One of the things that Kate basically says allegedly according to harry about this instance was you owe me an apology i'm owed an apology to megan she said you hurt my feelings and megan said oh my gosh like what do i do please what did i do please tell me please tell me and she said you talked about you said i had baby brain like you talked about my hormones you said i couldn't remember something because of my hormones and megan said what oh you mean when we were planning the wedding and Kate couldn't remember something just like a human you know couldn't remember something and Megan was like oh don't worry about it you have baby brain you just had a baby type of thing 
and apparently Kate got really offended and while they're in this sit down in 2018 she says we are not close enough for you to talk about my hormones and you know Megan was like I'm sorry I just talked to all my girlfriends that way I was just kind of being normal and and then as this is happening William points his finger at Megan and says it's rude Megan it's not what's done here in Britain and she says something like kindly take your finger out of my face and it's just like how ridiculous do you get you're offended by someone saying oh you've got baby brain don't worry about it like type thing and she's like oh you're over here talking about my hormones and then William over here putting his finger in your face like what the fuck is that don't get it and then get ready for this one I don't know if it's the same sit down or a different one but <laughs> they're trying to like clear the air and as soon as they sit down um Harry and Megan were like basically you know like what do we do like why are you guys upset and apparently the main reason was that Harry and Megan didn't get them an Easter present and if this is true what the hell I, Harry literally wrote something like, do people give Easter presents? Like, is that even a thing? I don't, I don't know. But that is so beyond ridiculous if that was actually an argument that was talked about. That really makes me think that William and Kate were just looking. They were fishing for something to be upset about with Meghan. She was, you know, a threat to their publicity. She was, you know, maybe they, maybe they are a little racist. Maybe they look down on her for being a divorcee no one no one like I said no one will really know but those two interactions absolutely shocking to me and I think they were the most entertaining parts of the entire book because oh my god like why <laughs> the whole like baby brain thing in general was just baffling to me and someone correct me if I'm wrong like if you're from Britain and that really is different and it's rude to like I don't know mention hormones tell me but that was really weird to me. And you know, reading the book, especially post Queen Elizabeth's death, it was every interaction Harry put in the book with the Queen, it was so positive. Like it was just such a wholesome interaction. And I wanted to kind of end off talking of end off talking about the book with mentioning that. I I really appreciated that. It was it was really cute, you know, when they were saying goodbye um he went and saw her in her room after she had passed and it was just it was a it was a powerful moment in the book and and it was special and I'm glad that they had that great relationship if that is true <laughs> um so if you're super interested in the royal family like you're kind of up to date on the news and maybe you I don't know maybe that's your thing you're like into the royal family then I would say this book is worth the read like if you have a genuine interest but if you're like, I watched the Netflix documentary, like all those episodes, I think there's six of them, and is there anything like new in the book type thing that I need to like fill myself in on? Not really, to be honest, no. It's not a necessary read. I felt like almost everything except for the hormones and the pointing of the finger thing was in, was in the Netflix documentary. So it kind of felt like a rehashing of all that stuff to be honest but I didn't I didn't dislike it it wasn't it wasn't a bad book overall rating I think I'm gonna give it a five because of how interesting I think 
he and Megan are in their relationship and the family that they come from. And just genuine curiosity that I read this book and found a lot of things interesting. So I'm going to give it a five. It's definitely not something if you're not interested in the royal family, obviously don't read it. But if you're just kind of like looking for a new book and you're like, oh, is that going to be interesting? Probably not to you. No, I wouldn't say. So is it worth the read? Probably for most people, no, unless you have a genuine interest in the royal family. But if you already watched the documentary, then you're probably good. Just saying. Okay, uh, I think I'm going to end the episode off there. As always, there is a link in the show notes where you can share your thoughts on the pick of the week. And you can follow along with the pod on Instagram at a sweet sunrise underscore pod and myself on TikTok at Callie X Dane. I hope you all are enjoying your reads and I will see you next time for Tuesday Brunch.